This expert insight session was recorded in front of a live webinar audience on the 24th of November, 2021. This edition is titled, The Other Side of Christmas, Loneliness, Broken Families, What to Expect and How to Manage. On the panel we had, Cassandra, our lived experience representative, Chris Baston, Principal Clinical Psychologist at Baston Psychology, Melissa Black, Clinical Psychologist and Researcher at the Black Dog Institute, and chairing the session is Dr. Carol Newell. Hi everyone, welcome to our Christmas festive season podcast, The Other Side of Christmas, Loneliness, Broken Families, What to Expect, How to Manage It. Um, as we sort of round up uh, 2021 and what a year it's been. Before we get started, though, I want to give my acknowledgement to country. Um, I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians on off the land on which we meet on. Um, and we're all zooming in um, separately. Um, so I wanted to pay my respects to where I'm zooming in from, which is in the Hornsby Kurungai area, and that's the Darug people or the Daramagal um, people. Um, and I want to also pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander who are present here today. Today, I want to welcome our amazing panel members. We've got Cassandra, our lived experience representative, uh, Chris Bastian, clinical psychologist, uh, and Melissa Black, who works at the Black Dog Institute as a clinical psychologist and researcher. Um, and I will now turn to my panel members and actually get them to introduce themselves um, and tell us a little bit about your background experience. So I might start with Cassandra. Cassandra, tell us a little bit about your background in mental health. Um, so um, I have uh bipolar disorder um i have had depression and anxiety since i was about 14 um i was only diagnosed with bipolar disorder uh about 2012 um but it made the world of difference um yeah and that sort of led me to i'm actually a registered nurse i've been a nurse for about 13 years um i've worked in the hospital and i currently work in the community i've um, been there about six years and we do work with mental health um clients um but yeah my lived experience drew me to work with the black dog and I am now a lived experience research advisor. Oh, thank you so much, Cassandra, for coming onto the podcast and sharing your experience with us, not only as somebody who have had that lived experience in mental health, but also somebody who works in health as well, um, which is terrific. Um, might turn to Melissa Black now. Melissa, please go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background. Thanks, Carol. Um, so I'm lucky enough to have a split role as both the clinical research lead in Black Dog Institute Clinical Services and work clinically within the services as a clinical psychologist. Um, my research focuses on transdiagnostic approaches to common mental health problems. So the overlap between depression and anxiety, trauma, compulsive disorder um, and associated difficulties. Um, and also, I've been working on the Essential Network Program for health professionals, which I'll talk a bit more about today, and blended models of mental health care, so how we can combine digital and face-to-face -face services. Um, so looking forward to, to the panel tonight to discuss some of those things. Thanks, Melissa. And Chris, um, please introduce thank yourself. Thank you so much for the for the opportunity to join you. This is uh, it's a good little panel to be a part of. Yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist. I now just work in independent practice in a group practice in, in Sydney. Um, I spent the first half of my career, more, you know, close to 15 years working in public health in a, in a large hospital, um, mixture of psychiat general psychiatry and eating disorders. Um, and now just work in practice and do a bit of teaching and a little bit of clinical research. Chris, you've supervised so many of us in New South Wales, I think. So there's, there's, <laughs> I'm just going to put my few, hand up. Yes. I was supervised by Chris. <laughs> so I think there are some people in the audience who may already know you. Um, now, I wish let's... I could see them. That would be good. It's good to say hello. <laughs> um, so, okay, well, we're going into the festive season. As you can see, we've all got our cool hats on today. Now, how do you guys feel about... 
Christmas, is it your favorite season or is it not one of your big seasons? What's your favorite season? I might start with Cassandra here. Do you like Christmas? What is it for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I generally enjoy Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I've been fortunate um, on quite a few occasions to do spend time with family at Christmas. Um, but even on the occasions where I haven't been able to spend time with family because I've had to work, yeah, I've enjoyed it as well because I'm bringing some joy to the people that are stuck in hospital. Um, yeah, and hopefully giving them a bit of Christmas cheer. Yeah, that's kind of one of the unique roles of being in healthcare, isn't it? That um, many of us kind of work through Christmas and even when we're taking a break, uh, sometimes we're thinking about our patients and the people we care for throughout Christmas and we're going to touch on that. What about you, Mel? Do you How do you feel about Christmas? Is it your favourite holiday? I, I do really like Christmas. I do like getting together with family and friends and, you know, people tend to be in a party mode, but I guess I... And, and this will come up, I'm sure, that tend to sort of steamroll into Christmas. You know, it's the end of the year and pretty exhausted and and heading into a, a period of break, but then already thinking to January and what's coming up. Um, so I think sometimes it's a bit of a quick changeover. So enjoy the time, but I think there are always that mixed feelings of how can I take some time out and, you know, deal with that burnout and exhaustion as well as, um, you know, celebrate with family and friends. So a bit of a mixed bag. Absolutely. And, and that's another thing we're going to touch upon, right? Um, whether how we manage that Christmas period and taking that appropriate rest, um, even like for psychologists and general practitioners, you know, to how do we kind of tune out and not just race through to January? Chris, what about you? Christmas, your favorite holiday? It, it might be my favorite. <clears throat> um, it's just the easiest time to take off and mm. not feel bad about having a holiday. And it's every people, ex, you know, your clients and colleagues expect you to be on leave. So it's just mm. easier. Um, mind you, I, I love a holiday in winter as well. I, I love marking the middle of the year and going, right, I made it. Really need to sort of, you know, have a, have a week off and do something seasonal. Yeah. Although I reckon after lockdown, I would be just enjoying any break right now mm. where you can actually go out and see friends. So I'd be socialising and seeing family and friends anyway after not being able to for a while. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a challenging year, um, 2021. We've got such a mixture. We've had people in lockdown who've had too much family and then we've got a little bit more family and then people in isolation and that loneliness as well, um, which we'll touch upon. Um, I always find Christmas a little bit uh, of a mixed bag. Um, On one hand, it's really lovely to have that festivities and especially watching kids get really excited with Christmas. Um, But then in our clinical work, um, we're kind of faced with a a couple of challenges. Um, I always find that Christmas can be a period of really high stress for our patients. What do you think are some of the big challenges for mental health um, during this season? I might just turn to the audience, uh, to to our panel members, anybody who wants to take that question. What do you think are some of the major stresses uh, around that Christmas period? Silence. <laughs> I'm happy to speak up. I, th- I I think that at Christmas, certain um, challenges and difficulties that a lot of people have, regardless of conditional diagnosis, in fact, without a formal conditional diagnosis, certain emotions get amplified at Christmas. Um, you know, what comes to mind is loneliness. If you feel a bit disconnected or a bit lonely, it really gets amplified. Um uh, if you feel if you're prone to self-criticism or inadequacy, you do that end of year review, and it always is pretty ugly, right? You're like, oh, I haven't done enough this year. And if there's any family disruption, and most families have something going on, um, then that gets amplified because there's these expectations and this idealized version in stories or even in Woolies ads or whatever on how a family should look and how happy you should be. So it's an I, I just think it's an amplification. Yeah. of quite common emotions. Yeah. Melissa, what about you? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd second that. I think it's the expectations of, you know, after, after a year of lockdown thinking we're going to have such a fantastic Christmas or, you know, 2022 is going to be great. I'm, I'm thinking back to 12 months ago and particularly in Sydney when we were like, fantastic, we were at our Black Dog Christmas party. Next day we were just about going into lockdown with the Northern Beaches cluster. And, you know, I, I think it is that expectation of how do I need to behave at social events or people overdoing it or underdoing it or you know there, there's just a lot of as, as Chris said that that expectation around this time of year that that's really challenging um and and working out how to to manage all of that at a time when there are lots of demands on people you know to go to lots of events or to socialize or to enjoy the time um because it is the festive season when it might not be that for everyone and I, I was just observing across a lifespan how Christmas can be so magical for little kids. They look forward to it as uncomplicated as the day for opening out presents. And as you're going across that lifespan, um, there is other elements that kind of can't come into play, that expectation, but also grief because it's a time when we get together with family and that's a time when we start to, as we're growing older across that lifespan, we start to remember people who are not there anymore. And I've always found that during that period, grief is like a really, really big topic um, during Christmas. Um, and so we've got a couple of things here that, you know, we've we've raised and let's have a chat about some of the, the, the ways we could cope with that. Let's start off with grief. The Festive season is when a lot of people start to think about loved ones who are not here anymore. This year, I think, has been especially challenging because during lockdown, um, people weren't able to attend funerals. And having maybe elderly parents or relatives overseas and not being able to get to them uh, and be, a t be able to have that closure as well. How do we manage grief with loved ones? Because it's a topic that comes up every year for me. I'd love to find some strategies to, to be able to prepare my clients a little bit better around Christmas. Chris, I might turn to you for this one. Um, I, I'm really glad this is on our, on our list. Um, I saw it came up in our Q&A and it comes up for a lot of my clients be, be, you know, because it's so common. Um, my view on grief is a stance that I like to take that I learned from a nurse I used to work with who did a lot of grief work um, is that unlike most emotions that we help our clients with as mental health professionals, grief isn't really pathology. It's a normal, it's a painful emotion, but it's a normal, natural emotion. And even just talk, so doing some psychoeducation with clients around that is helpful, just saying this is, this is not, we don't, we're not going to treat this. We're going to help you to have it. And sadness, grief is the, is the emotion with which we honour loss. So why don't we help you to honour loss in, in a really healthy way? And, some, and then I encourage people to think about gathering up their, their grief and planning to conduct their grief really well through grieving rituals that really make sense to them. You know, so if my brother died and he was quite religious, if he was Christian, I might, whether I am or not, I might sort of feel like I'll light a candle and say a prayer on his behalf and connect with him. If my mother, who I've lost this year or last year, loved to garden, I might sit in a garden or her garden and have those memories or get out a photo and talk to the lost person and hopefully have a really good cry um, and feel like I'm doing my grief well. And the tip is to kind of then to do that really early in the day, to look forward to do it. You approach your grief, you conduct it well, um, and then it will still be with you for the rest of the day, but you don't have to fear it and, and you've taken an approach strategy rather than waiting for it or just sitting with it and avoiding it. If you need, if you want to, if you can, approach other people. And really early on, as soon as pe people come, it's like, isn't it sad that mum's not with us today? I feel like I need a hug. You just get onto it straight away and say it, and then it's done, and then it's easier to sit with it. So they're my favourite sort of ways of thinking about and conducting grief. But I'd love to hear other people's tips as well. I'm always looking for more tips. <laughs> what about you, Mel? How do you manage grief? 
Yeah, first of all, I just wanted to say, Chris, that's so beautifully articulated how to approach grief and, and grieve well and 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 not pathologize it. Um, you know, I, I really love doing some imagery work with clients around this time to really bolster that honoring as well and, and think about, you know, what are, what are some memories you have of this person around Christmas or what are some, you know, it, things that you can attach to the grief in a way to honor that person and bring your family into it as well, you know. Could everyone share their memory of grandma around this time of year or something like that? And it, it does, it can be really inclusive in a way to approach it with families and different age groups as well. Um, you know, that particularly if there are kids who might have, have lost family members. Um, so really, as, as Chris said, really approaching it and, and making sure you bring it up with clients as well. I think that's the other thing that if you know that it might be something for them as a clinician, approaching it with your client and and just helping flag that they, they might be triggered at this time and, and putting a strategy in place. Yeah. Cassandra, you have had to sometimes work during Christmas um, and, you know, you've had previous experience of being in a hospital setting where people can't get to their family, right? And how do you manage that grief? Because sometimes it's the grief of not being with each other. Yeah, um, it can be a very lonely time for a lot of people. Um, I think, yeah, like the the health professionals around and the staff that work within the hospital, we try to do our best to create a environment where it's like a celebration of that day um, to try and bring a bit of joy to those people's lives. Um, I, you know, I'd, I'd, it'd be great for people out there that do have hospitals now that we can mm. um, to, yeah, remember them on that day too and yeah. to pay them a visit, you know, um, even though it's Christmas Day. <laughs> um, yeah, give them a visit because anything, any little thing helps, I think. Yeah. Um, just to re- remember that, uh, for them to, you know, remember that they're there. Absolutely. You know, I think we see it firsthand sometimes, right? When you, like, for example, you as a nurse have seen it first time of people who are separated from their family and you see that grief, you know, because you work in that profession. But sometimes we can forget um, whilst we're in, with our family that there are people out there who, who need that support, who need that check-in. Um, and that would be wonderful if we could all do it as a community. Um, we've got an interesting question here from Mark Wilder. Um, perhaps... Uh, we need to add the collective cultural grief in COVID-19 as well, that this has been a really big year. Um, and it's really interesting because I think um, the kind of response I've been getting in the community is that everybody's going through it. I'm fine. I'm fine. But actually maybe this is a year we need to do what Chris has talked about and be able to recognize that it's been a really tough year and there were moments when we didn't do very well. <laughs> Um, so, you know, thanks for that, Mark. Um, so beyond that, Mel, um, want to mention as well that with the grief, we also have the anniversary of the bushfires. Um, and for those who've experienced that severe bushfire season. So yes, last year we had COVID, but the year before was pretty horrific. Remember that was all we talked about, um, going from 2018 to 2019. That was the big topic that was supposed to be the defining topic of 2020, but it wasn't. Um, so are there any, any strategies that you would recommend for people who are coming out of the bushfires? Cause you work in this area a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I've been involved with the Bushfire Support Service at the Black Dog Institute and and that project's really focused on how we can um, create a centralised hub of resources, digital resources, as well as access to to -to person-to-person care for emergency service workers and their families in bushfire-affected communities um, to manage the trauma and grief and loss. Um, But also it, it shifted into some local community initiatives and how we can support communities to support each other and to support themselves. Um, So there are some really great um, fact sheets and access to online resources on the Bushfire Support Service, which is part of the Black Dog Institute website. Um, But I'd also like to thank... Melissa's just posted it in the chat. Um, I'd also like to flag that Phoenix Australia, which is a um, trauma-focused organisation, has the 
Disaster Mental Health Hub and there are some really great resources on there as well. And I think you're, you're absolutely right, Carol. You know, the, the Black Summer bushfires happened and then there were floods and then there was COVID. And it almost seems like we've fast-forwarded to the end of 2021 and COVID has still been the focus. But many of these communities are still struggling. There are people still um, being triggered by, by certain events. You know, it looks like we're heading into another wet summer, at least on the East Coast. But bushfires are still likely to occur. So, you know, preparing communities for that and, you know, looking at that resilience piece um, and also those local community initiatives. So I'd encourage people to check out both the Bushfire Support Service and, and Phoenix Australia's resources as well um, to, to look at how, you know, that there are these ongoing effects after, after those Black Summer bushfires. Absolutely. It's not something that we should easily forget. I mean, we might have shifted our focus to COVID, but for the communities who have lost people and they've lost businesses um, and they've lost entire neighborhoods, I think just the weather warming up again um, and realizing it's that time of the year again can really trigger some really powerful memories. And it's along the line of grief as well, but we mustn't forget those uh, services. And, and I just want to point out that so many of us are working via telehealth as well. So, you know, even among us who work in the urban areas, some of us may have clients in those regional and rural areas um, to keep keep that in mind um, as being a, a perhaps a factor um, going into that festive season. So, Cassandra, you know, for those of uh, for those who work in healthcare, what are some of the major challenges around the festive season that you see in your community work? Uh, so. <laughs> I guess in community, um, I mean, it's similar to the hospital. We do a lot of, um, we do still do a lot of holidays, a lot of weekend work. Uh, so I guess, yeah, some of the challenges, well, I mean, after the year we've had <laughs> and all the last years we've had, um, yeah, like a lot of us are, are you know, quite tired. We've worked a lot. Um, we, haven't, we haven't had much of a chance for a break, um, not that we've been able to go anywhere anyway, but even just getting a break from work because um, things like, uh, yeah, the COVID um, issue, for example, if people are off because they've been in close contact with people that are COVID positive, then you've only got limited staff to work. So it really does um, affect your stress levels. It um, can create burnout um, and then going into the festive season. So even though a lot of things sort of wind down, um, a lot of us still have to work through that period. Um, and, yeah, not being able to be with family, I guess, can be triggering. Um, yeah, but, you know, we, we try try to do the best we can with what we've got <laughs> You're right, because I think um, our healthcare workers have really been at the front line of seeing this pandemic sort of uh, occur over those months, right? And not only that, they've also been copying quite a lot of the stress from our community sometimes, um, you know, the, the anxiety around catching COVID, the frustration around vaccinations. And so, you know, there could be a really, you know, a stressful period for them. Um, and you being a healthcare worker uh, and, and disclosing, right, that you've had your mental health struggle, can you perhaps tell us a little bit about some of the barriers you faced around disclosure in your profession and what helped you overcome it? Because I'm wondering whether there's a healthcare worker listening to us now who who's thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I've really had a really big year. Um, you know, uh, maybe I am struggling with my well-being. It'd be great to hear your experience of of your journey a little bit more and, and how you came to sort of become a lived experience volunteer at Black Dog. Yeah, so um, I guess, yeah, like it took me a long time to kind of get to the point where I am. Um, and, you know, a lot of it was probably to do with self-stigma. But that self-stigma also came from external sources. So, um, you know, I've been stigmatised um, when I've gotten hospital treatment. Um, I've, yeah, I've experienced um, stigmatising attitudes as well from some of my colleagues. Um, I'm hoping that some of that's changing and with my disclosure as well, especially um, that that's helping to change how people view um, yeah, people that have 
um, mental health issues. Um, yeah, but I guess like a lot of it is quite systemic. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's not an easy one to, um, address. I've been very lucky. Um, so I guess I, when I, I went to, um, the, to UNSW and did a master's of public health there. And I was doing an internship with Black Dog because I knew after my experiences and um, some of the negative experiences that I had that I needed to do something to change the way things were done. Um, and so I did this internship with Black Dog and it just changed my whole perspective. And I realised that I could actually use my experience to help others and to help change the way things work. Um, so, yeah, that also led me to disclosing at work. And I've been very fortunate. I've had some amazing managers the last few years um, and some really supportive colleagues as well. Um, I know of um, other colleagues that have felt comfortable um, disclosing their own issues um, because I, I think it made it easier for them knowing that I also had disclosed issues. Um, yeah, so I hope I hope there's a change in the future um, in the way we support each other. Thanks for that, Cassandra. I think it's so important that we've got healthcare workers willing to speak up and, you know, say, look, I struggle with mental health because I think there's quite a bit of stigma within our industry. We're so big on helping other people that we don't want to be seen as, you know, needing help ourselves, but actually everybody needs that help. Chris, what do you, in terms of our profession, like, you know, and we've talked about people working in healthcare, but how about people working in mental health? You know, the psychologists, uh, even the GPs and the psychiatrists. Um, are we pretty good with self-care or do you think we're pretty, where do we fall down? What do you guys think? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of psychologists in Sydney that are that are actually really good at self-care and the rest of us are terrible at it. Only a really? couple. There's two yeah, of us that about, are doing well. two. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I shouldn't make big generalisations. Um, I, know, I, know, I know some, I'm sure I'm just projecting my stuff. You know. <laughs> I, I know over the years I've, I know that I've, you know, had to sort of look at my tendencies for, you know, wanting to, you know, just, meet the needs of others or be in service of others and put put others needs ahead of my own a, too, a bit too much um and 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 I think you you can make that generalization that people in care, you know are drawn to caring um professions actually the black dog institute has done some really cool research looking at burnout in clergy and ministers and that that has shown the same thing and the, and and I recommend that people look at look at that um, it's a sense of responsibility to others that is a, one of the real triggers. Um, but anyway, I um, yes, look, it is is it is a little bit hard. We need to make a conscious effort to do that. I find that it helps to for all of us to examine why we chose our vocation, and then be able to find a supervisor with whom you know we should all have supervision, and where we can actually have that level of self disclosure and sort of say, oh, this is this client triggered this in me or I you know I felt the need to step in too much and it's that accountability to self that happens when when we have a supervisor that will roll with us and and we've got to feel safe in that in that environment it could be just peer supervision or one-on-one -on -one. and that's the, I found that the most helpful way to manage that imbalance that can keep happening and we can get back into balance when we're aware of it and we talk about it. I would love, I would have to say Christmas is not one of my favorite holidays because I find that it's really hard to um, not worry about patients and clients over that Christmas break to be able to have a sustained period where I'm not checking my emails and also being quite afraid of opening my emails even after a short break in case I miss something uh, when somebody really needs me. So can I get some tips Chris and Melissa and Cassandra, on how you guys kind of tune out in terms of your practice, how do you take that proper rest break? What do you do? What are some of the practical strategies that we put in place um, as people working in healthcare to be able to have that proper respite over that period? 
Melissa. But yeah, I might I might jump in first. Um, one one thing, and it's probably an an overdeveloped safety behaviour pre Christmas. But you know, making sure I address with clients what are all the strategies that they've got, some safety netting, setting the expectations really early um, about what the Christmas period will look like, planning for it. You know, regardless of how you think people will go, just checking in. You know, how would you go with a two, three, four-week break from therapy and what will that look like for you? What are the different places you can access support? Um, and, and having that order apply with all of that reiterated as well and the voicemails and, you know, everything else. Um, so really just having clear expectations for people. Um, but I think other that, you know, practically for me, it's doing as much as I can, that digital detox, getting away, not even the temptation. I, I actually move the email app on my phone to the back screen in a folder. So I'm not even tempted to, to open it. Um, but I think it, it is doing those really mindful things and, and just anything to, to take your mind off work and, and getting engaged with those around you. Yeah. Any other tips, guys? Uh, ditto for me. What Melissa said was was really helpful. You know, all that planning um, with your practice and changing your phone message, putting something up on your website. Uh, I I sort of like the idea of in, invoking um, you know, adaptive beliefs or positive cognitions or something. I sort of keep saying to myself, you know, this this can be helpful. It's perfectly reasonable to do this. It actually could be helpful for therapy. It's great to kind of make everything, you know, somehow add value to the therapy process. And we can do that by sort of even really looking at the form, the individual case formulation that we've got and going, what would, how would this client treat this? And then actually sort of get them to discuss that. And so if they struggle with a two-week gap, and some clients might, then we then we can understand that and say, well, how do we help you to grow and fill in that gap? And then that's that's sort of different from client to client. If it's a real emergency, then you put then you put um, a locum in place or or another service in place. But if it's just an attachment issue, then we we can say, well, I, I like saying to myself, um, I can have a good break, and it can actually serve therapy at the same time. Love that. So we've got quite a few questions here about families and clients, right? Um, and, of course, part of the title of our talk today, how do we deal with family conflicts around, um, you know, Christmas time? And there's a theme happening in our Q&A because we already know that Christmas time can be a bit of a struggle, especially if there are ongoing family conflicts or, or just gathering every year. <laughs> we know that there is somebody there that we don't want to necessarily see. And, and we know that it's an annual thing where disputes occur. Um, but one of the big themes coming up here are the issue of things like vaccinations. So anybody want to jump in there? So how do we deal with family members who have different points of view about vaccinations? Any strategies for those family and clients? That's from Taylor. And I would actually suggest that the question's actually broader than that. How strategies for getting together with families? So we've got different political views. Maybe we're getting together and, and you know, we've got people who just don't get along. How do we manage that? Anybody want to jump in for that one? I, I might actually go the, the sledgehammer or kind of, ultimate approach with with a client of going do you need to go and see your family at Christmas you know I, th I think check checking in on some of those expectations why people feel obligated I think another really important thing that's been raised in the chat is not everyone actually celebrates Christmas and for for some time of year it's a really triggering point or they do not hold religious beliefs that are consistent with Christmas or it might be quite a traumatic time for people and so planning for something else during that time so actually addressing that and going how are you going you know a Living in Australia, a lot of the country shuts down around Christmas, except for healthcare workers, as, as Cassandra has rightly raised. Um, and so really planning for that time with people and, and looking at how what's going to serve your values and your needs at this time. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to people who, you know, might have vulnerable children or young families and they go, I just can't go to a family event where there are family members not vaccinated. And so it's looking at their values and and working through what's going to be the best for them. Um, so I think work, working with people and looking at those underlying assumptions and obligations um, in a way that will, will be helpful. 
I think, Cassandra, you're living up to that value. You're like, I am going to a restaurant and hanging out this Christmas. Is that right? That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Chris, yeah. any tips for managing, um, you know, family conflict or even broken families during during the Christmas time? Yeah, it's I, if if there's um, really valid, important reasons not to see somebody, it can be viewed as a as an opportunity to have some more open openness or honesty and say things out aloud that need to be said. It's like, well, that that person really hurt me before. You can't expect me to be nice to them. Um, what are we going to do? We've got a dilemma. You know, we've got options, but it's not reasonable to play nice when they weren't. And then people go, oh, you're not allowed to say that. And you're like, yes, yes, I am. And so, and our role might be to sort of help them to, to sort of do some, you know, role playing or permission giving to do that. Um, yeah, I, I think just problem solving it. And as I said at the beginning, the Christmas can amplify things like family conflict or loneliness or disconnection and being able to then say, well, how are we going to manage that? Let's actually change. Let's look at your expectations. Cognitive therapy is great for that. Let's articulate your expectations and hold them up to the light and decide whether you want to keep them or not. And I've thought quite a bit about this vaccination issue because I've been asked it in my practice, you know, and people have said, I'd, how do I deal with a relative who just won't get vaccinated? Um, and I did some reading and what, the wisdom that I found was um, really just to agree agree to not talk about it. So like we just, you know, let's not. Because often, you know, like I'm not going to try to change your mind. I, I suggest you don't try to change anybody else's mind. What we do, we need to just respect each other's point of view, but we also need to respect the law, which is that we're not going to mix if um, when we can't go out and we shouldn't be mixing in big numbers if you're not vaccinated. So that's what we'll do. And then I was thinking maybe you should say, and maybe we should respect the science as well, but then that's actually part of the that's the Problem. flight, and you got to you got to stop there. <laughs> we'll just we'll, and and it could be um, just how about we just choose not to talk about that. We'll catch up on the phone, but we can't actually. Um, just we just have to acknowledge that we can't catch up. That's the natural consequence of somebody not being vaccinated. That's just the way it is, and let's leave it alone and not debate it. Absolutely. I think there's quite a bit of research showing that um, facts and scientific evidence doesn't sway, um, you know, the debate at all. Um, you know, it's, it's not one of the things that could be raised in a family gathering and you're going to find a resolution. So I really love that approach, Chris. It's very systematic. <laughs> it's like, no, not going to talk about it. Let's just catch up over the phone. <laughs> But there's somebody needs to take a leadership role in the family sometimes for that to happen and just say, look, that's my position, that's what I suggest, and and not all families have that. And then if somebody says, well, no, we're not going to, you can just say, well, that's actually my position and I do really, really respect yours and I'm sure you'll respect mine. Mm, I love that. Um now, you know, during this family gathering, we sort of like kind of veered around. We've talked a little bit about clients and com come back to healthcare workers and how we manage and then back again. Um, but one of the things that has been raised in the chat is that is the time of eating and drinking. And for some people, that can be really hard. Um, you know, because one, alcohol intake absolutely increases during that time. But for people who struggle with eating as well, that can be a really tough time because you're sitting at a table with a bunch of people and eating is the thing that you struggle with. And now you've got a lot of scrutiny as well. How do we manage that? Back to Chris, I think, for this one. Yeah, well, I've yeah, I've done a lot of work with eating disorders. Um for people that have a difficult relationship with their body or with food, yes, it's a great question. It's it's a fraught time. It really depends on um, their stage of readiness for change. So I just try to roll with that. If somebody is very early on in a recovery and then they're not able to do much, I would suggest to them and their family to just accept that. This is not the right time to expect somebody to do something that they cannot do. Same thing was if you had agoraphobia, really severe agoraphobia or something else. It's like, well, don't don't ask somebody don't ask somebody to do something miles above their therapeutic window. Just roll with it. 
But if somebody was, or if somebody was at another stage where they're able to, they're actually deliberately introducing some challenging foods, then you just ask them, well, where's your therapeutic window? What is the, is this an is this an opportunity for you to take on an extra challenge? And it really highlights their ambivalence, and they might because you know Christmas is a way to say, well, hey, you know this this difficulty that you've got with body or with food is preventing you from really embracing everything and just having fun and relaxing, how would you like things to be next Christmas, a bit of future projection, you know, and then what could you do in the next few weeks that might edge you in the direction that you want to go in? So, again, like I said before, you want to try to get get, get some traction with your therapy and turn it into something good, but also just acknowledge that it won't, it won't be what the family want. You can't just jump to something just because it's Christmas. Yeah. And acknowledging that it is a really, really tough time as well. We just can't, you know, there's just, as you, everyone has said, there's just so much expectation. Now, Cassandra, you've got like two important insights here. One, as somebody who has struggled with mental health and two, as somebody who's worked through Christmas, do you have any tips, um, you know, to share with us for how you manage the festive season? Um, because it can be a struggle sometimes for somebody who, who have had, you know, episodes of, of mental health challenges um, in the past. Yeah, um, I guess the thing is to recognise, number one, that, yeah, there's so much, we put so much pressure on ourselves. Um, I think a lot of, there's a lot of pressure from our families and also from just the whole Christmas experience, just the advertising and the pressure to buy presents. I think you need to sometimes just take a step back from all of that and just really look after yourself, like, you've got to be the number one priority. Um, yeah, do something that's self, you know, looking after your self-care. Um, I think also with health professionals, yeah, making sure you're looking after each other. So particularly when you're working, um, you know, it, it, if you're struggling for some reason, you know, bringing it up, it doesn't have to be your colleague. If it's something in particular at work, then you know, it might be a good place to share, but it could be with the friends that you're not doing so well during that season. Um, yeah, and I don't know, just, um, yeah, <laughs> not not focusing so much on that one day of the year. I mean, I think also, yeah, just reflecting on, you know, maybe why you might be feeling that way and, what what it is that might be might be you might be able to do differently or to do something about it and remembering that there's also help around so if you are really struggling I know it can be tough because people are going to um, shut down so you might not be able to go and see your regular psychologist or um, GP at that time but there is still plenty of help around there are helplines um, I often, when I'm struggling, get the support of the crisis team. Um, don't give up just because you've only gone down one avenue and you haven't managed to get help from there. There are so many other avenues if you need help and it's okay to get help. Absolutely. I love that because it's not about going through this alone. Um, we forget that there are social supports that's available during this time as well. And, you know, friends, but also other, you know, hotlines that are there. And in fact, Mel, we have a really great resource for su supporting healthcare providers. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about 10? Sure. Thanks for, for giving me an opportunity to give the 10 spiel. So, um, that 10 is the essential network for health professionals, which is an e-health hub, a you know, created by professionals, for health professionals. Um, and it's it's trying to consolidate exactly what Cassandra has been saying, you know, being able to look at self-care and some different resources for self-care. There are lots of digital mental health resources on there and, and free access to online CBT programs. Um, and with a particular focus on some of the um, issues that might be coming up for healthcare workers. So burnout is something we've heard time and time and time again. Um, and one really important aspect of burnout is that exhaustion, but also the disengagement that people feel from work and, and that um, the compassion fatigue that people feel. And so just really calling that out in some specific ways to address that. 
Um, and there's also access to person-to-person, um, -person, so both face-to-face -face and telehealth services. So we've curated a list of those helplines, so both general community helplines that are available, but also profession-specific ones, so ones like Doctors for Doctors and um, nursing and midwifery support that are available 24-7 and available for healthcare workers to, to access. Um, and then we also have a clinic at the Black Dog Institute. So uh, we will be shutting down over Christmas. Unfortunately, it won't be one that will be available during that two-week period, but certainly available before and after that um, to see a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist as well. Um, so I'd encourage you to check out the, the Essential Network. I'm sure it will be in, in the chat for those both digital and face-to-face and -face resources. Absolutely. Um, I think it's such a terrific resource to have. Um, given that healthcare workers are so reluctant to sort of seek support, there's some, um, we did run a podcast, just a gentle reminder to everyone around healthcare workers and the stigma of disclosing mental health difficulties, that fear of registrations, right, being threatened. And in fact, um, we actually demystify quite a bit of that in um, a previous podcast. So do check that out if you're interested. Um, we've got a question here from an anonymous attendee. Do we have any suggestions for resources for people and even communities that have lost someone to suicide specifically during Christmas holidays? I don't know of any during Christmas holidays, but um, we do have other suicide um, support resources, I believe, at the Black Dog Institute. Um, Melissa, do you know of any? Uh, looking at the um, uh, suicide and self-harm resources on the Black Dog Institute page, there are resources for, for family members and carers. Um, and the... Um, the SANE Australia Network as well also has some great information for carers and those who have looked after people with, with mental health problems and those who might have um, lost loved ones to suicide as well. Absolutely. Chris, do you know of any? Um, I tell people to go and have a look at Black Dog um, resources. Um, and, of course, Lifeline um, is well known as having a um, you know support group for people that have lost um, family members or loved ones through suicide. Fantastic. And I've heard that they're, they're, they're good as well. And Elizabeth has mentioned standby support after suicide, post-intervention uh, support, and she's just popped the number up, which is 1300-727-247. So she's popped that into the Q&A. Elizabeth, maybe you could pop that into chat as well because only we can see that. So thanks for, for pointing that out. Um, so... Whilst the festive season can be extremely hard for some of our clients, what do you think are some of the benefits to be gained as we head towards the end of this podcast, um, having a moment of respite and celebration, despite the fact that it can be a really challenging time for mental health? What are some of the benefits of this festive season? What do you think, Melissa? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually circle back to what Chris said at the beginning, that it is a time when you're expected to be off. You know, often it, it can be a, a, a time when you've you've got a quiet period on email, fingers crossed. Um, but I think it, it's especially this year, it can be a, a chance to, people often reflect on accomplishments or try and make resolutions for the new year. And while that could be productive in some capacity, I think it's important just to recognize that even just getting through 2020 and 2021, making it to the end is an accomplishment in and of itself. Um, you know, reflect on that resilience piece. What were the small wins you might have had? What were the things that helped you just get through the year? You don't have to have achieved anything. Um, and, and looking ahead to the next year as well about how you can be kind to yourself. So really that chance to, chance to be kind to yourself and um, take that time out, I think is important. Yeah. What about you, Cassandra? What do you see that could be beneficial having these festive seasons? Um, I think particularly this year it's really good for people, um, yeah, that haven't seen each other <laughs> for quite a while. So being able to go and see your family or I know, for instance, my brother, he's um, finally getting to Queensland to go and see his partner. So <laughs> it's um, been months. <laughs> um so, yeah, maybe it's just about, you know, that reconnection um, or connection. Um, and, yeah, I think it's important to also say that, um, yeah, let's try and look out for each other and, you know, um, realise that there are people out there that are isolated or um, that may not have family and, and try to connect in with them. Um, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. <laughs> 
Absolutely, Cassandra. I love that messaging is that, you know, yes, while many of us struggle with mental health during this time, and we can do a lot as in the healthcare work, as well as clinical psychs, um, people working in mental health, that generally in the community, just being there for each other and reaching out or even having that conversation, you know, to, to recognize that it's, it's hard, um, can make such a really big difference. Chris, what about you? What are some of the, the benefits um, during the festive season? Well, um, for me personally, there's lots of benefits, just, you know, just being able to relax and do things and see people. Um, But I want to answer the question mainly about sort of adding value to therapy. I I find that it's a time of year when I get to know my clients a bit more differently. It might open up new conversations. Um, I might uh, have asked, because I didn't ask before, it just didn't come up, I might ask, are you Christian? This is a Christian festival. Um, they might even ask me, and then I've got to decide whether self-disclosure that my religion is right or not. And then we can get to talk about what's it like to be a non-Christian in a when it seems like the whole of society's celebrating one particular religious festival. Um, and role modeling things, you know, I like to role model um, good self-care it's like well of course I'm shutting down like I'm, I need a break I'm really tired um, and in order to work really hard with you next year I need to take a couple of weeks off we get to do problem solving you know like and teach problem solving um, and I love role modeling ambivalence and just saying well you know I have mixed feelings about Christmas there are some things that I'm dreading about Christmas day and there are some things that I love about it and I can't wait it wait wait to have it what sort of mixed feelings do you have and a lot of my clients have sort of find that helpful to have permission to say yeah I've got really mixed feelings or intense ambivalence about certain people or certain things so I I, it can be a good um, catalyst for adding value into the therapy I agree I agree rather than see as something that some people have Maybe previously dread, I often reframe it as, hey, this is a really good opportunity for us to test out some of the skills that we've been talking about. And it's a really big test, but I have confidence in you. And even if it doesn't work, we'll come back, we'll have a chat about it, see how it went. Um, and, and it's just another day. It's just another behavioral experiment. It's a, another exposure therapy opportunity. And, and, you know, we'll let's, let's see how it goes. Um, and, even if it doesn't work, it's no different from the previous year. But if it works, wow, great accomplishment, right? So it's um, it's it, there's so many benefits as well. And I know that we've talked about some of the negative aspects, but um, indeed there are some some great opportunities as well for for adding to therapy and having that rest and respite. So. I want to thank our amazing panel members um, for contributing to our podcast tonight. What a lovely chat and what a lovely way to to end this year. And we've had some help as well from our podcast audience with some of the resources. You guys are so helpful. And thank you for joining us today. And again, we want to thank everyone. Um, Any further questions, please join us on education at blackdog.org.au. And we will see you later. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for having us. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, subscribe to and review Black Dog Institute on iTunes or your preferred podcasting platform. If you're interested in knowing more about our educational programs and research, please visit our website at blackdoginstitute.org.au. 